I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark chapter 11 as we get into God's Word together uh, this morning. Uh, Mark chapters 11 through the end, 11 through 16, record the final week of Jesus' life. That's like a third of Mark's gospel uh, focused on what's known as Passion Week. Uh, One commentator even refers to Mark as, uh, and I thought this was interesting, a a passion narrative with a long introduction. So now that we're done with the introduction of Mark, we're going to start on the meat. Not really. We've been in the meat for a long time. Um, A friend of mine visited Manila in the Philippines in 1981. And he said the timing for them, for him leaving, was not very good. He was on a KLM flight that ended up having, was on the tarmac, ended up having to shut the engines off and, um, and wait because the president, uh, Marcos, Ferdinand Marcos at the time, and his wife uh, were, were welcoming some foreign dignitaries. And so he sat there in the plane. They had to turn off the engines. He said he was sweating like a dog. And uh, he said he thought he'd make the most of it and just watch what he could of this uh, big, all this pomp and circumstance that was going out on the tarmac. He said he saw guards uh, with uh, shiny gold pith helmets and Filipino dancers and uh, a military band and a long red carpet and several gleaming black limos. And he remembers thinking, you know, this is the best that the world has to offer. But it's so short-lived. Because as soon as he saw this all happen, it just that fast it disappeared. It was over 100 degrees outside, so that may have had something to do with them dispersing so quickly. But the opposite is true of what it was for Jesus when he had his triumphal entry. Uh, He was a new kind of king who operated under a different kind of principle. Now, we've all seen pictures or video or maybe we've even watched live ticker tape parades. That is not what Jesus had going on in Mark chapter 11. Uh, The week culminates... Uh, with Jesus' death uh, and his historical and amazing resurrection. Jesus has very purposefully been zigzagging down from Galilee uh, through Israel. And he's been in Galilee and Samaria, and he's been in Perea, and then finally in Judea. Uh, And on his journey, visited 35 different localities uh, where he worked miracles and taught the people, but he timed his journey so that it would perfectly fall for him to arrive in in Jerusalem during Passover. Uh, If you've ever been to Israel, you'll know that to go from Jericho to Jerusalem involves uh, a long, hard climb. Uh, Jericho is the lowest city on earth. It's about 800 feet below sea level. Jerusalem, which is around 20 miles or so to the west, is nearly 3,000 feet above sea level. And so if you're trying to get your 10,000 steps in, that's about 50,000 steps that you would take to get there. Most of it uphill. Um, 
the road goes through hot, dry desert. Uh, I had a friend of mine that, that hiked it and uh, really mismanaged how much water he should have taken and, and almost didn't make it. But he wanted to walk that the same way that Jesus had walked right up the Wadi Kilt, which is a dried up riverbed that's on its way there to Jerusalem. And so uh, this hot, dry desert all the way, but then you come up to all this vegetation and at the same time, which is really the, the Mount of Olives, and then right beyond that, you see Jerusalem. So no matter how many times you make the trip, it's really a relief every time you come out of the desert and see the vegetation and Jerusalem. And so on your outline, you have this, if you can follow along on your outline, that Jerusalem is where God's people lived and where they worshiped. As Jesus enters Jerusalem on a colt in humility, Many are there to bless him and rejoice that the kingdom of David has returned. And this event is so important, it's recorded in all four gospel accounts. But Jesus does not take any military action uh, as the people would have expected him to do. That's what they wanted. But at this point now, there's no turning back. Jesus has come to Jerusalem to die. It's like it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, and this is on your outline, it was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And then it says this, God chose him as your ransom long before the world began. But now in these last days, he has been revealed for your sake. And so Jesus knew that his mission was to come to die. The lamb chosen to be slain from all eternity, will now be slain in history for everyone to see. Uh, Jerusalem was always alive with activity, being such a, an important city. But during the Passover, the population could triple in size as pilgrims came from everywhere to celebrate. Um, the Passover was always a special time, but this Passover would be unique because like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, for Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed. You know, I think there are times for all of us that we would rather have a Messiah in our own making than the one who is. We'd rather have, this is on your outline, a Messiah that would do our will and build our kingdom than one who would do his will and build his kingdom. That's what we want. One of the things that we've seen up to this point in Mark is that there are many around when Jesus does miracles, but when he starts teaching, uh, the, the crowds seem to fade. Uh, in other words, I, I think it's a good possibility that, uh, that we've, what we've seen up to this point is that uh, people weren't so excited about the true Jesus. You know, when someone comes to me and they say they believe in God, uh, in the conversation, what I want to get to is, tell me about the God you believe in. And what I often find is that it's not the God of the Bible that they're describing. It's the same thing when someone says uh, I, they believe in Jesus. Again, I, I, in, in the conversation, want to get to them describing who the Jesus is they believe in. And I find sometimes it's not the Jesus of the Bible. 
They have a different idea of who it is. They've got one in their own mind of what they believe, but it's not the biblical idea. So, you know, we, this is a, a passage, really, that you cannot be neutral about. What I mean by that is that we, we see people, that, all these different people that have all these different agendas. We see the Pharisees who want to keep their power on what's going on in Israel's religious life. They're looking for a way to get a hold of Jesus and kill him, which they're eventually successful at. And then we have the zealots who wanted a Jesus who would help them overthrow Rome and set up an earthly kingdom. And that's what most of the people around Jesus had in mind when he comes into Jerusalem. And then even the disciples, remember what they wanted. They wanted that they come to Jesus and say, well, will you do anything we ask you? And Jesus says, well, what do, you, what, what do you want? And they say, well, we want one of us to sit on your right and one on your left. So it's almost like when Jesus would teach something hard, they would come and change the subject and say, well, um, here's, tell us what we're going to be doing in the kingdom. And Jesus was like, no, this is, this is what I have for you to do. But they had a different idea. So we may not be excited about who Jesus actually is, but Mark wants to leave no doubt, all of the gospel writers want to leave no doubt in our minds as to who Jesus is. So follow along in your Bibles as I read from Mark chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road. Uh, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. This is God's word. You know, there's some rich insights here for us about who Jesus really is. And the first one is that he is always in control. That's number one on your outlines. He is always in control. In other words, God has designed this event like every event in the life of Jesus in a specific way to bring about his will. As Jesus and the disciples and the crowd with them get close to Jerusalem, uh, they come to Bethany and on the Mount of Olives. And that's the home of Jesus' friends, Mary uh, and Martha and Lazarus, whom he raised from the dead. Uh, I'm sure having raised Jesus from the dead, Lazarus considered Jesus now his best friend. Uh, If somebody raised me from the dead, I would consider them my best friend as well. 
So from verse 11, we know that this is where Jesus stays during his final week. You know, the Mount of Olives, uh, we, we, I think, sometimes forget how important it is in the life of, 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 of the Bible uh, and, and the, the accounts we have throughout the Old and New Testament. In fact, you've got it on your outline. Um, we see there David's retreat from Jerusalem happened on the Mount of Olives. Solomon grieved God by erecting idols for his foreign wives to worship. Uh, Ezekiel witnessed God's glory there. Jesus wept over the blindness of Jerusalem at the Mount of Olives. Uh, the disciples would witness Jesus' ascension into glory from the Mount of Olives. And Jesus, it says, will return to that place. So by the account of Mark that we have of the triumphal entry, Mark is confronting his readers and all of us that Jesus, with the fact that Jesus is the king and he is the savior. You cannot say that Jesus was just a good teacher or that Jesus was just a prophet or he was just a miracle worker when we see what, what Mark is going to be, what he's already laid out for us and what he will lay out for us from this point to the end of the book of Mark. Uh, he will, Jesus will not be a servant for your desires. Uh, have you ever been angry at God for not answering a prayer? Have you ever been confused maybe as to why God didn't answer a prayer that you've prayed? Maybe we all have at some point. I think probably that's the case. You know, if you're, if you're talking to someone and they give you a compliment, you're all ears. You take that in and you think, wow, that was really, that made my day. We say that all the time, don't we? Somebody gives us a compliment. Um, we take it over, we think about it, we chew it on, we chew on it. But that's what it should be like when we read the word of God. We should listen to it with that kind of attention. When the Bible is taught, when the Bible is preached, I promise you that the word of God is way more valuable and way more important than the best compliment you have ever gotten in your life. We're angry because we've created a Jesus in our own image oftentimes and not one of the Bible. And so we have to honor him with nothing less than the fact that he is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords and he's sovereign. And when we pray and ask him for something, you know, God sometimes says no to our prayers. Sometimes he says yes. Sometimes he says wait. But God doesn't always do what we want him to do. It's like the attitude that, that James and John came with. Just will you do whatever we want you to do? We have to honor him as the king of kings. And God will not establish a temporary kingdom that gets replaced over and again by our kingdom. His kingdom is forever. And what we need to see here is that Jesus planned out every detail and that he is in total control. Look at, this, look at the specifics that are spelled out in verses two and three. Go to the village ahead of you. Just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it, bring it here. Six very specific instructions that he gives them. One commentator says, we see Jesus' majesty and authority begin to shine through the moment of his entry into Jerusalem. And I'd say part of it is him sending the disciples on uh, ahead of him to get the colt. So what does that mean for us? 
Well, Paul writes this in Ephesians 1.11. You have the, the passage on your outline. That God works all things according to the counsel of his will. That means the stars that are in the sky. That means the, the, the way you came to Christ. That means the election of presidents. As much as we're happy or unhappy about where politics is, this is not a surprise to God. It means the death of Jesus. It means the gift of faith. It all is from God and his sovereign hand. And so it means that we can stand in awe at the authority of God and at his power. It means that we can be bold at the throne of grace because we're invited to come and give our requests before God. And so do you honor God with great requests when you come to him? Do you honor God and ask him to do only what he can do? On your outline, it says this. It even means that we can be composed in these crazy days that we're experiencing now because ultimate victory belongs to God and nothing that he wills can be stopped. That's the God we serve. And so uh, another thing to keep in mind, and I don't want to hurt our feelings too much at this point, but this is the, the next thing on your outline. We just don't know as much as we think we do. These people who were accompanying Jesus into Jerusalem, making the trip with him, meeting him as he came in, they had some understanding of the scriptures. They, they, they were singing the scriptures. They, they thought that they knew what was going on. But they got it wrong. We think we know what would bring God the, the most glory in our prayers. Lord, you've got to answer this prayer because we know this will bring you the most glory. Guess what? We don't know. God knows. God's sovereign. And so when, when he says no to your prayer, you keep praying. We're persistent in prayer. But we trust him. And sometimes I think we get a little too smug about thinking that we have it all figured out theologically. We know who God is and we know how he works. I think that the danger there is that sometimes that leads to us not being as diligent as we can and should be in our own study of the word of God. That leads to us being not as diligent as we should and could be in praying and asking the Holy Spirit to, to teach us as we study the word. Maybe in heaven we'll look back at all the things that have happened and we'll go, man, did I get that wrong or what? God's sovereign. He's in control. The second thing that we see here is that Jesus submits to the word of God. Jesus submits to the word of God. I, I kind of like to think that it was James and John that he sent in to get the donkey because they were the ones that wanted to sit on Jesus' right and left. We don't know who the disciples were who went in to get the, the donkey. But I'm thinking maybe Jesus said, well, you guys thought you were going to sit on my right and left. Really, I want you to be the donkey fetchers. <laughs> How humbling is that? Anyway, they found that things just as Jesus said they'd be. Look at verse 7. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. So up to this point, Jesus has walked everywhere. He's been in a boat we know that he's done that, but he's walked everywhere else. This is the first and only time that he's on an animal, a small donkey. 
And this is specifically a fulfillment of prophecy in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, written 500 years before this event. And so uh, you've got it on your outline. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, this Old Testament prophecy surely would have been in the minds of some of the people that were around Jesus as he walked into Jerusalem or rode into Jerusalem on this donkey. Uh, From beginning to end, Jesus lived his life in total submission to the word of God. Uh, He was was one of the authors, right? I mean, the God, the the Holy Spirit inspired the, the people who wrote scripture. Uh, So in John chapter 5, it says, you search the scriptures because you think they give you eternal life. But Jesus said, the scriptures point to me. Jesus submitted himself to God's word because he knew it was all about him. That he was fulfilling what had been written about him, the prophecies that are fulfilled about Jesus. So what does this mean for us? What it means for us is that we have to do the same thing. We have to submit our lives to the word of God. James says it in James 1.22. In fact, he gives us a warning. He says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. So it's important to listen to the word of God. But we also must obey the word of God. We need to do it. We need to put it into practice in our lives. You know, missionary uh, C.T. Studd, was the founder of a mission organization called Unevangelized Fields Mission. And he was, uh, think of him as the Babe Ruth of, of cricket. He was a tremendous cricket player, super popular in England. Christ got a hold of his life, and he wanted to be a missionary and, and founded this organization working in Africa. One time he was on a retreat with a friend. They were rooming together. And it was getting late. His friend went to bed. And he said, aren't you going to come to bed, CT? And he said, no, I'm, I'm going to read the word here a little bit longer. And he woke up in the morning. And, and, and this roommate found CT Stud still reading his Bible. He had never gone to sleep. He said, what are you doing? And he said, you know, I read in John 14 where it says, in 15, where it says, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And so I wanted to read through the gospel of John carefully to see if I am up to date on my obedience. What a great question for all of us to ask. Are you up to date on your obedience? On what you know to be the word of God? You know, it was Mark Twain who said, you know, it's not the the passages of scripture that I don't understand that bother me. It's the ones I do understand. What we know to be the, 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 the truth, what we know to be the, that we need to obey. Are you up to date on what you know that you need to obey? I think that's a great call for all of us. And that's what, how, how great our need is for the word of God. You know, we might be confused about what's going on around us, but our security will never be in trying to figure out what God is up to. We, we can't always figure that out. And this, you have this on your outline. Our security is in the clarity and the truth of the word of God. That's what we can be sure of. That's what we can, as we study and interpret together the word of God, that's how we are directed. 
The third thing that we see in Jesus in these verses is that he personifies humility. Jesus personifies humility. Zechariah 9.9 that we just read a bit ago is, is the prophecy of this event that connects Jesus riding this donkey and humility. He is righteous and victorious, it says in Zechariah 9.9, humble, humble, and riding on a donkey. And we see the response of the people. Look at verse 8. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the, from the, in the fields. Up to this point, Jesus has not wanted people to say that he's the king. He would heal somebody, and then what would he say? Don't tell anybody else. Now is the time where Jesus announces himself as the Messiah, where he announces himself as the king. But he does this with this gracious humility. And he knows that it will provoke the Jewish leaders to act and it will end in his crucifixion, which it does. So Jesus is the Messiah, but he comes as a servant. He comes with humility. He comes with simplicity. So how should this impact us? Well, Paul the apostle is very specific. And he says, you want to have the mind of Christ? Then this is what you should do. This is the way you should act. And he says this in Philippians 2. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests. But take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. And so you have this on your outline. Selfishness can ruin a church, but genuine humility can build it. Being humble involves having a true perspective about ourselves, having a a sane estimate of our own capabilities. We're to lay aside selfishness and and, and treat others with respect and common courtesy. Uh, You know, when I was in seminary, I had the privilege of being able with my roommate to board at the home of Elizabeth Elliott. She was a missionary whose husband was killed by the Alka Indians. And uh, Jim Elliott was my hero as a book I read my freshman year at Wheaton College and talked about his uh, being called to the mission field and, and what he did there. And he and four of his friends, three of them were from Wheaton, were killed by the Alka Indians. And then Elizabeth Elliott and the sister of Nate Saint, the pilot, went back into that tribe. Uh, and she took, Elizabeth Elliott took her daughter Val with her. Val was one of my classmates at Wheaton and a a friend, and I knew from her that her mom kept boarders. But she used to say all the time to us, Elizabeth Elliot would say, "Um, you know, when you do something small for someone, open a door. As a Christian, you're saying, you know, my life for yours. When you stand up, when somebody enters the room, just out of politeness, you're saying in a small way, my life for yours. And so she would drive into us, these fresh college boys, uh, a lot of common courtesy that I I think we maybe didn't know so well. But that's what he's talking about here. 
<clears throat> we, need to, we need to show respect and have common courtesy with each other. Excuse me. <clears throat> but those are attitudes of Christ-likeness. Sorry, I've got this frog in my throat here. <clears throat> One commentator said that Jesus came to take his throne, but he started his reign on the cross. Uh, there's a little book called Humility uh, by C.J. Mahoney, and it has some great suggestions for cultivating humility in the back of this book. And uh, his first four suggestions are this. Always reflect on the, on the wonder of the cross of Christ. Focus on, the, on, on what Christ has done on the cross. At the beginning of each day, acknowledge your dependence on God and your need for him. Third thing was tell God regularly what you're grateful for. And the fourth thing was don't neglect the disciplines of the Christian life. Specifically, he talks about spending daily time in the word of God and a daily time in prayer. Uh, if you want to maintain a position of humility in your lives, that's the way to do it. The fourth thing that we see in Jesus is that he alone can save. He alone can save. Verses 9 and 10. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. <clears throat> you know, Jericho was traditionally a place for pilgrims to cross the Jordan River and make their way to the Passover festival in Jerusalem. And so it would have been normal to have a lot of people <clears throat> traveling in the same direction on their way to Jerusalem. Uh, and these were the people who were shouting these prophetic statements and, and shouting the hosannas. And maybe there were some who actually came out from Jerusalem to meet Jesus on his way uh, into Jerusalem. Uh, maybe they were part of the crowd of people as well. But what the people were shouting couldn't have been truer. But it was only Jesus who knew the real significance of what they were saying. So you've got this on your outline. Hosanna in verses 9 and 10 means literally, save, I pray. It comes from Psalm 118. And Hosanna is often thought of as a declaration of praise like hallelujah. But it, it's actually a plea for salvation. Uh, it's a very, all this liturgy was what they were saying was very traditional Jewish liturgy. And it makes sense that the crowd would have sung this because it was very, this very well-known prophet, this, this miracle worker, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. They anticipated something way different than Jesus was bringing them. Um, Psalms 113 to 118, those Psalms are known as the Egyptian Hallel Psalms because they were written as praises to God for redeeming his people, uh, primarily out of Egypt and getting them out of bondage. So they were shouting these, they were singing these songs of praise and Psalms of praise because they thought Jesus would be the ultimate political ruler in the line of David coming to Jerusalem. Uh, blessed comes from number six, but Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, and you have this on your outline, fulfills seven 
prophecies. And then if we add in the Zechariah, eight different prophecies are fulfilled. This is really an amazing moment in the life of Jesus. This is a turning point in the book of Mark. And we have to look at this passage from two different levels. What God was doing and what the people were seeing. And so, first of all, what is God doing? Well, he's fulfilling all these prophecies in the person of his son. He's demonstrating that he is all-powerful. He's showing that his rule in the world, that it, no matter what the situation, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the relationship, God is having his way. And I think this is pretty amazing and very encouraging when we look at this. The people who are there, from their perspective, they don't understand what God is doing, but, but that doesn't matter ultimately because God's plan, his plans march on. His plans are never taken off the rails by our misunderstanding. And this moment is the fulfillment of all these prophecies that David's king would establish his throne forever. And the people didn't expect this. Yes, Jesus is their king, but he's not here to remove foreign rule. That's not what he came to Jerusalem for. He's here to remove your sin and my sin. That's why Jesus comes to Jerusalem. The Jews expected them to save, for, for him to save them. Uh, but Jesus came to save the world, not just the Jewish nation. It's like John 1.12 says, it says it so well, but to all who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. To all, not just to the Jewish nation. So just like being born physically makes you a part of your parents' family, being born spiritually makes you a part of God's family. And that's what, it, it, that's what John 1.12 is saying. It's by God's grace and through faith in Jesus that God rearranges our attitudes, that he rearranges our, the, way we, the way we think, our mind, our thoughts, our motives. And, and the most familiar verse that we all have is a perfect verse, John three sixteen. For God loved the world, not just the nation of Israel, but God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. The people cried out for salvation, and that's exactly what we did when we came to faith in Christ. We call out for God's mercy. We call out for God's grace because it's by grace through faith that we come to know him and have a relationship with him. And, and Jesus is the only one who can save us. And again, the, in the gospel of John, John makes it so clear. He says in John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the father except through me. It's only through Jesus in Acts 4.12, the apostles teach the same thing in the, in the beginning of the church. They say there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus. That's the only way that we're going to have a relationship with God. And so salvation comes from him. That's the, the gift that we have, um, that Jesus alone can save that's number four on your outline. And then number five, the last thing we see here to, to point out is that Jesus always acts justly. Jesus always acts with justice. 
The day ends rather uneventfully. Look at verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the 12. So tomorrow, what we're going to see next week is a very different day. Uh, But right now, he goes back to Bethany where he stays for the week and he gets rest with the disciples. Uh, Jesus starts in the temple, but it ends on the cross. Uh, He acts justly when he does what he does coming up in the next passage, cleanses the temple, and everything he does is with perfect justice. His timing is not our timing. And he's so worthy of our worship. All the worship we've given him this morning, as we've sung songs of praise, as we've prayed together corporately, as we've listened to the word being preached, his word, uh, as, we've, <clears throat> as we've focused our minds and our hearts on what he's said, uh, he is worthy of all of that and more of our worship. And think of, of this being repeated in hundreds and thousands of churches around the world throughout the day on this Sunday. And so our security is in the person, in the King, the Messiah, Jesus. That's where our security is. I can rest in the fact, you can rest in the fact that God is orchestrating every moment of your life. Nothing in your life, nothing that touches your life surprises God or takes God. uh, uh, He never shakes his head and says, what happened here? Never. That's not who our God is. Jesus was the focus of two parades that week in Jerusalem. There was this parade of the triumphal entry, one where everybody cheered. But then there was a second parade on the Via Della Rosa, on the way to the cross, with a lot of suffering and agony. The first time Jesus comes, it's on a humble donkey. The second time he comes, it will be as an exalted king. And that's what we have to look forward to. There's the first advent that we celebrate at Christmas, but there's a second advent that we don't know when it's coming, but we're told we need to be ready for when it comes. And that second advent, the first advent, he came with his 12 disciples. The second time, he's going to come with an army of angels. The first time he came as a suffering servant, but he's going to come back as king of kings and lord of lords. Few bowed before him the first time as king, but at his second coming, every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's our hope. It's in Jesus. I hope that you'll spend some time today looking up some of the verses on the outline and thinking through what we've talked about this morning. There's, it's so rich. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the zeal of your redemptive plan. Thank you for your sovereignty that you can rule the world with this kind of clarity so that your plan can move forward perfectly. We thank you for Jesus who was willing to be that suffering Savior King. Father, forgive us for having a greater allegiance to our our own kingdom than we do to yours. Forgive us, Father, for 
our desire to remake you into something less than who you are. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we panic when we don't need to panic because you're not confused. Forgive us, Lord, for the moments when we doubt your goodness and your grace. And by grace, by that grace that was purchased on the cross, may we worship you this week. Hosanna, son of David, king of kings. Amen. Well, uh, just a reminder that before you leave, please take the time to introduce yourself to a couple people around you or reintroduce yourself. Uh, But thank you for being with us this morning. Now may the God of peace equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.